Luke describes his own gospel in the book of Acts, chapter 1. And he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the Gospel of Luke is about all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's a beginning of that history. And it's a foundation to the work that Jesus is continuing to this very day. Now, foundations are important. If you don't get the foundation to a building right, then that building is going to be shaky. It's not going to last. You have to get the foundation right. And the foundation of the gospel is truth. The point of this gospel is that we would know the exact truth about what we've been taught. And when we are expert in Jesus, the things of Jesus, we're going to be able to accurately transmit that to other people. That's what Luke is about. Now I'm going to read the first four verses as an introduction to the Gospel of Luke. Here's what it says. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke is about history. And he calls it the things which have been fulfilled among us. Some of your translations have accomplished or done, but the literal translation of that word is fulfilled. The dictionary defines fulfill as to carry through to completion. There's a process. You begin it, you end it. It is fulfilled. Now, in this case, God has made promises about salvation, and they're recorded in the Old Testament. That's one of the reasons why it even exists, where it shows what the big problem is in life. And the big problem in life is that man has sinned against God and is dead in sins and trespasses. We exist, but we exist without God. That is abnormal. And we can't live right if we're not connected to God. 
Now, the Old Testament also shows God's promises, what he was going to do about that. So, he is going to solve everything. Isn't that great? Everything that's gone wrong, he's going to make it right. Now, he didn't do anything wrong, but he's going to be involved and make it right. And so, he's promised. He says, I'm going to do things. I'm going to send somebody who's going to make it right. This is where he's going to be born. This is what he's going to do in order to make a salvation that is eternal, that can't be taken away, that can't be changed, or get old, or lose strength. It's going to be a complete, eternal salvation. And the Old Testament is full of these promises. God has gone on record, and he says, I am going to do this. Now, promises are great. The fulfillment of those promises is better because until they get fulfilled, it's just, what's the word? Vaporware. How about that? It's potential. But it's not there, is it? I'm going to do this. Well, how many centuries has it been so far? Will I live to see this? But at a certain point, God began fulfilling his promises. Putting into effect. Making it actual. Doing things. And finishing them. So, you know, what that means is the gospel is not something made up by men. It's not like Lord of the Rings, only better. And the apostles didn't decide to make up a new religion and then market it so that they would make a good living. Hey, I know what we can do. I don't like digging ditches. Let's make up a new religion. That's not what it is. This is God fulfilling what he spoke in ancient times. Even by the time he did this, and this is 2,000 years ago, all of these promises were ancient. And you think, well, will God do anything? And the answer is yes, because all of these things have been fulfilled. Now, Luke says he's not the first one to write down an account. He says many have done this there in the first verse. And that is, people have put what happened in God fulfilling his promises into accounts. And the reason to do this is to make it known. I think it's worth making it known. 
He's not saying, well, the other guys did a lousy job. I can do better. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this is something that needs to happen. And people have come before me. I'm not the first. I am one of a stream of people making this known. And it's to preserve it and pass it on. And if you notice, he's saying, I myself did not see these things. I am not an eyewitness. He says that in verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and their ministers of the word, they delivered them to us. So he's saying, I myself did not see these things. But he is dealing with two kinds of sources here. And the first are eyewitnesses who are ministers of the word. These two things go together. And what he means by that is the apostles. Now, Peter talked about what it means to be an apostle, what the requirements were in the book of Acts chapter 1. And he's talking about actually replacing Judas. He says we need to have one more guy. And he says it's necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what they needed was a guy who was there with John when Jesus was baptized and saw it. All through Jesus' ministry and was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He says, we need somebody like that. And they actually proposed two guys. And there was a bunch of them who could have done it. So they lived with Jesus. They saw Jesus do what he did. Peter talked to Cornelius the centurion about this in Acts chapter 10. This is what he says. We are witnesses of all the things Jesus did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now, have you ever thought, why didn't Jesus just make himself be known after rising from the dead? Why didn't he do that? And the answer is, there would be people who would look at him and say, I don't care. I'm still not going to follow him. Now, you know, if you reject Jesus, after seeing him raised from the dead, there is no place to go. That's instant judgment. So, you know, God doesn't do stuff like that. 
He even gives people space to think about it. Isn't that interesting? And you know, later on in the book of Acts, you can see that priests and scribes and even Pharisees were becoming believers. God gives people time to think and to change their minds. Isn't that interesting? Now, you know, if he had just shown up right after that, there's nothing but judgment, and we wouldn't be here 2,000 years later talking about it. That's kind of nice, too. I've always appreciated that. I'm glad that God wants to save me, too. Aren't you glad that God wants to save you? I think that's fabulous. I'm up for that. So he didn't show himself to everybody, but he did show himself to the apostles. And even in Luke, he gives us an account of that meeting. And Jesus shows up, and everybody's freaked out. They think they're seeing a ghost. And he says, you got anything to eat? So they give him a piece of broiled fish, and they watch him eat it. Now, I don't think they were subtle enough to know that a psychological hallucination cannot eat fish. But here's Jesus saying, watch. Good fish. So, Hallucinations don't eat. And Peter says, we ate with him. We drank with him after he arose from the dead. Now, Luke is talking about eyewitnesses. He's also got sources. That's what a historian uses. Sources People who saw, who had experience, who have knowledge about Jesus. And Luke says here that he researched his sources carefully. He says here in verse 3, having had perfect understanding. And in your margins, it says, accurately followed. It means research. It means he tracked down sources, interviewed them, sifted through this. Is this a guy that can be believed? Is it verified by other people? And so as you move through these accounts, he collected verified, accurate stuff. So it's not made up. So the real question is, is, is Luke accurate? Did everything he write match up with reality? Now, in my reading on this, I read about a gentleman named Sir William Ramsey. Now, this is a quote from uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell, 
1978. So William Ramsey is regarded as one of the greatest archaeologists ever to have lived. He was trained in the German historical school of the mid-19th century. As a result, he was taught that the Book of Acts was a product of the mid-second century. That is, a hundred years later than the things that he writes about. Sir William was firmly convinced of this belief and set out to prove that Luke was a forgery. However, he was compelled to a complete reversal of his beliefs due to the overwhelming evidence uncovered in his research. And this is what Sir William Ramsey says. Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. He is possessed of the true historic sense. He fixes his mind on the idea and plan that rules in the evolution of history and proportions the scale of his treatment to the importance of each incident. In short, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. So when Luke says that he has had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, and he's writing an orderly account, that's the way it happened. God promised, and he has fulfilled that promise. So, look who he's writing to. A guy named Theophilus. Who's this guy? We really only know two things about him. One, his name means lover of God. And you notice that Luke calls him most excellent. Now, this is a, a technical term. This is how you address uh, rulers, Roman governors. It's used about the Roman governor Felix in Acts chapter 23. Uh, the governor Festus is called Most Excellent Festus in Acts 26. And that would tend to make Theophilus then somebody important, either a Roman official of some kind or else somebody who is of high birth, some noble. But then I, I studied this out. I tried to figure out who Theophilus was, what the commentaries say. And here's how you have to be careful, even when you read commentaries, because you read stuff that will even contradict. And imagine Luke sifting through all these sources, me trying to figure out who Theophilus is. Listen to Sue William Ramsey. He says, quote, We may safely say that in the first century, a Roman official would hardly bear the name Theophilus, and therefore it must be a name given him at baptism and used or known only among Christians. And the idea was he was highborn, and it wasn't cool 
for high up Romans to believe in Jesus. So Luke is using the name given to him at baptism, kind of a code, Theophilus. And I've read some books where they thought he was like related to the Roman emperor. So we had to protect him, all right? But then listen to F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Acts. He says, quote, Theophilus was a perfectly ordinary personal name being used from the 3rd century B.C. onwards. Go wait. I thought Sir William Ramsey was like one of the most amazing archaeologists that ever lived. And F.F. Bruce, a great authority. Which one is right? The answer is you got to be careful. And you can't make confident statements when you don't have accurate knowledge. Do you get that? You can't make confident statements when you don't have accurate knowledge. Hold on to that. Who we, what we do know about Theophilus is that he was someone that Luke wanted to see grow in his knowledge about Jesus. All right? Now he says, you have been taught certain things about Jesus that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And that word there is a Greek word from which we get the English word catechism. And maybe some of you know what catechism is. That's a kind of oral teaching where they sit you down and they ask questions and then you have a certain answer to those questions. And you learn the question, you learn the answer, so you know it by rote. And you've learned certain stuff. Who's this guy? Okay, great. Who's this guy? What's this about? Okay, we, we got it. This is how converts were instructed at this time. And he's saying, Theophilus is a believer in Jesus. And he has been instructed about Jesus. So Luke says, I want you to know the exact truth about these things. A complete knowledge, a full knowledge. I want you to be an expert in this. Kind of the difference between reading National Geographic magazine and actually going out to wherever they go, it's a difference, isn't it? It's crazy when you're there and you smell it and you hear it and you feel it and you're there rather than just reading, you know, in some doctor's air-conditioned waiting room and it's fabulous, it's National Geographic, it's fabulous pictures, but you've never been there. There's a difference. There's a full knowledge. And that's what Luke wants for Theophilus. Because 
when you know a little bit, it doesn't make you really solid in your faith, does it? And this is why we don't witness. Because we think, well, some, what if somebody asked me a question I can't answer? Then I'm going to look foolish. So we just go, I'm going to wait for Pastor What's-His-Face to say something. He knows all the answers. He'll have them on the floor in a minute. <laughs> but for me, I wouldn't even last 10 seconds in one of these. They could just... That's why we don't say anything, because we don't know. And Theophilus had this great need to grow in knowledge so that he could also be really open to sharing his faith. Because the whole idea is to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples. And it's not complete until you make a disciple who actually goes on and makes a disciple themselves. Get that? That's where we're headed. We want to be aware of who's around us. We want to tell them about Jesus because we want them to get saved. Then we want that person to tell somebody about Jesus. It's fabulous. Well... In order for Theophilus to do this, he had to know that what he's talking about is accurate, is the exact truth, and not made up. Now Luke is really qualified to write this history because he knew what he was talking about. He had the experience, and he had the skills. He's an expert. First of all, he's trained as a doctor. That's who Luke is. And to be trained as a doctor, even back then, you had to go to school, you had to learn to think. And Luke is a great communicator. You know, even unbelievers who have studied Luke say it is beautiful. There's a quality about the very writing of it that is amazing. It commands respect because it's done well. His very introduction here, if you've noticed, is one sentence. And this is something the Greek mind really dug, was a really involved sentence that showed you could really put something together. Now, any Greek-speaking person, which is like English back then, would pick this up and read that first sentence and go, yeah, this guy is not a poser. He knows what he's talking about. Give me more. Because you want to read something that's well put together and it's got some brains behind it. That's who Luke is. Now, Luke is also a follower of Jesus himself. That's a qualification. The historian Eusebius, who wrote the first 300-year history of the church, he said that Luke was from Antioch in Syria. Antioch is important 
because it was the first place outside of Jerusalem to become a center for the gospel, and especially for the Gentiles, people who weren't Jews. In Jerusalem, it tended to be for the Jews. But this great center in Syria became a jumping-off point for the evangelism of the world. So Luke probably became a Christian there in Antioch in the very center of Christian activity in the world. He was a friend and a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. You know, that, that Luke also wrote the Acts. And that is all history about what happened after the Gospel of Luke. There's three places in the book of Acts where the narrator shifts the tense. And instead of talking about they did this, it becomes we did this. The first place is in Acts. They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. No fanfare like, ta-da, I'm joining the Apostle Paul, everybody, look at me. It's just, Luke was there in Troas, and Luke was with Paul, and Luke says, I am called to go with Paul and preach the gospel. So that says, he's a friend of Paul, he's a co-worker with Paul, he is an evangelist himself. And you know, if you're going to preach the gospel, you had better know it. Now, you know how you get better at telling people about Jesus? You do it. That sounds silly, doesn't it? You would rather be a complete 40-year professional right from the get-go. That would make it easier, wouldn't it? Be like, you know, Yoda. He's 800 years old. Does he know the Jedi thing? Yes. But we don't get to start out at 800 years old, having known Jesus for 600 years. So the best way to do it is to do it. And you make mistakes. And sometimes you crash and burn. But you know, you, you always learn what you should have done. And God always says, now you file that away for future reference. This is going to happen again. You're going to know what to say this time. It's amazing how a little bit of tension increases 
the learning process. So, you know, Luke did this. And he's with Paul, Luke is, as he evangelizes in Philippi. And what happens is Paul leaves Philippi and it goes back to they, which indicates that Luke stayed in Philippi. Now, what's he doing there? He's taking care of the people who came to Jesus. He's pastoring them. That's another kind of experience in knowing the gospel. Because people who already believe in Jesus need to hear the gospel over and over and over again to know it. Because here's the problem. Nobody's perfect. And you mess up as a Christian. You make mistakes. You sin against God. And the easiest thing for a new Christian to believe is, I sinned against God. I must be going to hell. I knew it was wrong, and I did it anyway. Can I be saved? And that's where a pastor has to come back in with the gospel. Yes, because Jesus died for sinners. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Well, then he's going to save you, right? I guess so. Yes. Are you a sinner? Yes. Are you confident that you're a sinner? Yes. Well, then Jesus is going to absolutely save you. Okay. All right. (laughs) You learn this, but you need to hear the gospel. And here's Luke not only evangelizing, but continuing to preach the gospel. Does everybody get this? A few years later, Paul is passing through Philippi and the area of Macedonia again. And that's where Luke joins up with him. And Luke goes with Paul to Jerusalem, where Paul is arrested And he's in prison now for the next two years. You know what Luke does at this time? He's right there in the very place where all these things were fulfilled. And you can bet that he's searching out these people who knew Jesus, who saw him. He's collecting the information because he knows This has to be written down. And he knows, I'm the guy. Because of his experience, because of his practical involvement. So, he is working on this even now. He went with Paul to Rome. He was there on the boat when the shipwreck happened. He was there at Malta when they were saved. He was with Paul in Rome for two years. He was with Paul at the very end. So he wasn't an eyewitness of what happened with Jesus, but he is an eyewitness of Paul. He knows what happened. So he's university trained. He's a skilled writer. He's a skilled evangelist. He's a skilled pastor. 
He's closely associated with the apostle to the Gentiles. He's done extensive primary research in all of the historical sources. He's qualified to write this. So here's an expert in the gospel helping somebody who's learned a little bit about Jesus learn the exact truth. Does everybody get what Luke is about? Now, you know, this is written to us with the same purpose in mind. Because we know a little bit about Jesus. But we, we need to grow because we need to become experts. Not just the pastor. Everyone needs to know Jesus for themselves. That was one of the crazy things I got to share with that guy yesterday. Is I didn't know if I could know God myself. It's great if Pastor What's-His-Face knows Jesus. How about me? Just a normal guy. Can I know God like that? And the answer is, you must. You have to. Because knowing the exact truth about Jesus, that's eternal life. And you need eternal life. <clears throat> so, as you grow in the truth about Jesus, you're going to be able to trust him better. You can't trust somebody you don't know. Right? But then, as you know him, it'll be easier for you to tell others about him because you know what you're talking about. And that really helps, doesn't it? So we can look forward to becoming more confident. Just that thing that that guy yesterday was telling me about. He says, I see in my friends this confidence. And I wish I had that myself. Now I wonder how many people are out there who wish they had that confidence. And what they really mean is they wish they had that relationship with God. They just don't know it. They're dying for that. And God cares. Isn't that great? He cares if people live or die. And he wants people to have the confidence that comes from knowing him. So that's what we're going to be studying in Luke. Is everybody up for that? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. that you raised up a guy like Luke and that you gave him such a wide experience. He had the mental abilities. He had the practical experience. Thank you that he got to the bottom of things. Thank you that we can know the exact truth. 
And we pray that we would know it. We want to know you. Not just know about you. But know you for ourselves. So that we can say, you know, I learned this. I experienced this. I'm not crazy. This is just the sober truth. Please do that for all of us. Help us to know you and help us to receive you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.